Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 92 of UAB Green and Told, original release Monday, February 27th, 2023. This podcast allows us the chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. Want to check out past episodes? Visit alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold, Spotify, or the Apple Podcast app. And while there, we'd love for you to leave a written review so more alums can find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and Director of Communications in the Office of Alumni Affairs. In the operating room, the doctors are the star. Patching people up and saving lives are all in a day's work. But if they're the star, their supporting cast, who deserve a lot of credit, includes PAs, nurses, and even those who invent the devices that go into our bodies. Today's podcast guest, David Wilson, is one of those guys. Someone who is in the background, but a vitally important part of the process. When you see just how heroic these physicians are, the ability to be a partner to them and help them save lives, change lives, is a real blessing. His part is important. In order to better the quality of lives for many, he had to find his place, one that can be found smack dab in the middle of the continuum of care. I would encourage people also to understand, you know, there's, there's a continuum of care. There's a healthy person, onset of disease, diagnosis, treatment, recovery and then back to normal life and you need to understand the whole continuum as david will share he has a passion for what he does and no matter what part of the process you're in that passion is critically important for success regardless of what level you are ceo or you know engineer one you need to have passion for the product and understand what product For David Wilson, understanding what doctors need to improve patient quality is something he gets. A proven senior executive, David is credited with having several patents to his name. Over the course of his career, he has discovered an uncanny ability to adapt, but perhaps that characteristic was something he developed as a kid who grew up all across the U.S. West Coast, East Coast, North and South, which um, I think actually gave me a really good appreciation for diversity. being the new kid coming in, trying to analyze culture and what's going on. I usually use sports and school as a way to make friends. And uh, yeah, tough experience moving a lot, but as an adult looking back, a great opportunity to uh, stretch and grow and learn some new things. So we covered the country. What were you like growing up as a kid? Uh, very much into sports. Uh, academics were important. My mom was a... Uh, uh, an English teacher, high school, and then a, a college professor. My dad has, you know, multiple degrees, so it was understood that school is important. And I was very competitive. Not a not a big guy. Not not really blessed with a lot of physical talents to uh, excel as a world class athlete. But I I had a lot of drive and uh, and determination. So I always found a spot on the team. Really enjoyed having friends, both from you know, sports and academics and everything in between. So, you know, as I said, I was often the new kid, maybe a little bit shy at times and uh, had to become more of an extrovert to uh, to get acclimated and involved. But but certainly always a drive to, to excel was a hallmark. You wound up deciding to study engineering. Did you enroll at Auburn as an engineering major? I did. Um, I had a. I was offered a, a scholarship in textile engineering, and uh, no offense to textile engineers, but once I sort of figured out what that was when I visited a uh, a rug manufacturing house in Dalton, Georgia, I decided that I was going to change majors to mechanical engineering. So I was uh, 
very focused on on that at Auburn. And I think my inspiration for engineering really was a relative who was a uh, a NASA engineer. And, uh, you know, I just viewed him as a success. I really respected who he was, his character, how he carried himself and the work that he had done. And I said, hey, I like math and science. Auburn's a good, a good school, scholarship, eventually mechanical engineering. And uh, that's what I pursued. You studied for several years at Auburn. You got your undergraduate degree. At that point, you opted to come to UAB to get your master's in engineering, and it was in bioengineering and biomedical engineering. Why UAB and where else were you looking at the time? Well, you know, um, I'm a little bit older, so biomedical engineering in the 80s really was not offered in very many places mm -hmm. and really wasn't there was no, to my knowledge, bio, bioengineering, biomedical engineering opportunity at Auburn. But I was already hearing about it at UAB and in large part because of the world-class medical center that's there. Um, and in those days, there was no undergraduate program even at UAB, it was a graduate program. So when I um, graduated from Auburn, I went through the typical interviewing and I was offered a job from Chicago Bridge and Iron Company. So. Hard hat, welding torch uh, out in the field, learning how to build big things out of metal. And uh, I was enjoying that. But I, in the back of my mind, I was remembering, you know, this this promise of, of mixing medicine with engineering, combining that. And uh, and I was intrigued by it. So one day uh, when I was in Damascus, Maryland, after uh, melting some ice off of what would become a water tower with a, with a torch, uh, on my lunch break, I went to a literally a truck stop. There were no cell phones then. And I, on a payphone, somehow managed to get through to the dean of uh, biomedical engineering, was able to negotiate a, a research stipend at that moment over the phone, which I was grateful for. And so a few weeks later, I resigned and uh, packed up my Honda Accord and made my way to Birmingham, Alabama, roomed with a, a guy who was in medical school, and the journey began, and it, you know, your, your career is never a straight line. That was one of the big divergent points for me. And uh, I'm so glad that I, I took that took that risk to leave a, a really good job and start a new adventure. You said you're drawn to engineering and medicine kind of coming together. Why? Why that interest? Um, you know, I think I think a lot of people, I would include myself, thought about becoming a doctor, thought about just the, the challenge of that profession, the opportunity to make an impact on people, the adrenaline rush that you get when, uh, you know, the demands are great and risk is high. And uh, and I think the engineer in all of us is, you know, we, we like to solve problems. We like to, um, you know, very goal oriented and it's a it's it's a beautiful marriage because you know for physicians to do the amazing work that they do they have to have tools. Um, most of the big breakthroughs have been driven. I think at one point eighty percent of all the great design ideas came from the doctor saying, "Hey, I need one of these," and, and being the person on the other end of that who can say, "I understand what you need and I can give it to you," is great. And you know one of the hallmarks of, of the UAB program for me was the fact that. We, as engineers, had full access to the operating theater. And so I got to see, you know, every type of surgery from trauma to aesthetic medicine. And um, it it really made the, 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 the desire in me even, even greater. You know, when you see 
just how heroic these physicians are, the ability to be a partner to them and help them save lives, change lives is a real blessing. So, you know, you hope you find a career that uh, is more than a job. It's, it's a passion. And, um, you know, I could, I could talk all day about all the great people I've gotten to work with, all the great physicians I've gotten to work with. And when I think about projects that I've been associated with having a positive impact on, on millions of patients around the world, I, I feel blessed. I feel great about that. What was the program like? Because you alluded to that it was kind of a young field at the time, even for UAB. So what was it like in class and and with the, the technology that you were working with? The, the academic curricula was great. Generally, a new student, a graduate student would come in and pick an advisor. Um, and we were, you know, there, there were definite categories. We had um, the, you know, the mechanical engineers who were very focused mostly on, on metals. Um, I chose to get more in the biologic materials, composite materials, polymers with Dr. Dale Feldman to focus on largely regenerative medicine with uh, cytokines, growth factors. It was assumed that you would obviously take the classes that supported um, the degree as well. And we had great, great professors. Um, you had, you know, core courses that you needed to take and also some electives. And so I enjoyed my class time as well. And then we also had a, you know, a lab environment, uh, office environment where we could hang out and, and study and collaborate on our research. So it was really a sort of a family of students who really came together in a, in a special way with a lot of support from the faculty. I remember, uh, you know, I was big into sports. I injured myself and I had to have some surgery, which was great. I had there at UAB and remember Dr. Feldman came to visit me and, uh, checked in on me it was just, it, and hopefully still is, it was just that kind of culture, which was very tight knit, just really enabling a lot of freedom to collaborate with the faculty. I worked with the Department of Surgery. Uh, Tony Thompson was a professor in the Department of uh, Chemistry who was working with us on the growth factors. And so, yeah, you really felt like an adult at the time and respected to, to hopefully make an impact and, uh, you know, serious, but it was also fun. What did you focus your thesis on and why did you choose that? I was interested in, in wound healing at that time. And so um, I had an opportunity to do some work at the Spain Rehab Clinic, looking at people who were bedridden with these really horrible decubitus ulcers, um, trying at that time to figure out some way to assess volume and apply some treatments to, to shrink the size had an opportunity to do a, a rotation in, in burns. And I can tell you when you've been to a burn clinic and you see people, you know, being debrided and sloughed and, and you watch skin grafts with a dermatome and the OR, you realize the need uh, to have some other, other options to try to, you know, save lives. Uh, and so with all of that in mind, uh, my project was really focused on trying to regenerate collagen, which is really difficult to do, and, and to also, you know, stimulate some angiogenesis, some blood vessel formation. So I was using, I think, FGF1, acidic fibroblast growth factor. And so we would simulate those wounds in some, you know, I know it's a controversial area, but important in some, some animal models uh, under supervision. And then obviously eventually do the, the necropsy and, and analyze the results. and and see what you had. And so, um, you know, we were students of what was happening in the literature. We were well aware of intellectual property and we were looking for opportunities to work on things 
that were topical and important. And, and for me, that was important. And in fact, ironically, in my project, I work with Barbenergen, Thrombin, and uh, Growth Factors. And my first job, once I finished the master's program, was with a company, uh, a startup company, that was partially owned by Collagen Corporation and partially uh, owned by a otologic surgeon. And we were working on concepts for uh, biodegradable implants that would help regenerate nerves and other, other applications for wound healing. And so it was directly applicable to my first job. And then later on, when I was worldwide vice president of R&D at, at Ethicon, we were doing a lot uh, for hemostasis with, ironically, fibrinogen and thrombin and other agents. So it, it's throughout my career in a lot of different capacities, that, that work that I did, because it was important at the time, it's still important now. And uh, it was able, something for me to draw upon, even when I wasn't the research student, but was overlooking, you know, at one time 600 engineers doing work. Uh, it's good to, to have that basic core uh, education, you know, the right questions to ask, you know, how to, you know, quickly get to understanding uh, data that are being presented. And so, um, you know, big focus, big opportunity there. And, and again, one of the unique programs like that in the country at that time. You've spent three decades in the biomedical engineering field. How have you seen that change from the time that you graduated from UAB to now as CEO of InnovHeart? I don't think the, the fundamental process of having an idea, building a, building a prototype, doing early testing, um, you know, moving in design verification and validation, has, has changed a lot. I think, however, that the, the regulatory environment, um, all the, the paperwork requirements, all of the standards have, have certainly evolved in the interest of, of public safety and establishing efficacy. So, you know, I always tell uh, the people that I work with that the administrative part is really important, but there's nothing like having your hands on the product in the lab, seeing with your own eyes what's going on, having some intuition about what's happening. So I think having a passion for the laboratory, for the engineering test environment is as important today as it was 30 years ago. There are a lot of distractions now. There are, there are a lot of forms to be filled out. There are a lot of meetings to go to. But, you know, if you really want to get something over the finish line, which is meaning for commercialization and you know, widespread public use, um, it's hard. It's it's a lot of work. And so you, you need to stay close to the product. You need to understand that in a business environment, you know, there is a marketplace. Product does have to be manufactured. It does have to be able to stay on the market. And uh, regardless of what level you are, CEO or, you know, engineer one, you need to have passion for the product and understand what product you're selling or, or developing and, and spend some time you know, I'm in the lab here. We're a small company. I'm back to startups now. Got to have your hands on it and have some knowledge about it. And you know, I think in today's environment, people talk about uh, Elon Musk a lot. And I, I don't, obviously don't know him, but uh, I sense that he's that kind of guy. You know, he, he's had all these incredible innovative breakthroughs because he has passion for the work. He gets his hands on it. And so, yes, it's more arduous than it used to be, more complicated. I think it's been in, intended to evolve for you know, more controls and regulations, but with the essence of uh, good idea, good prototype, good rigorous testing, staying close is, is the same. 
How hands-on are you and and how much hands-onness have you had throughout the career? Because you say that it's important to have that. Did you ever kind of venture away from that and have to find yourself coming back? So when I was uh, within Johnson & Johnson for, for 20 years, I had a variety of, of roles. And my, my first job there, um, we developed a self-expanding stent for peripheral vascular disease. And I was you know blessed to be uh, the lead design engineer for the delivery system. And I worked with the group that developed the stent. And uh, that was hands-on every day, building prototypes, flying to Canada to do testing. And uh, we had a lot of success with that, which was great. And with success comes career promotion. So I moved up to director and, and vice president and then bigger vice president roles. And, and the more you move up, the more your time is really stretched to manage company things and people. And so you have to really build time into your schedule to go back and see where the work is happening and make sure you stay informed and that you can coach and advise or help solve some problems um, or you can get you know completely completely disconnected when i was you know worldwide vp of r d at, at ethicon with a huge group i ironically was maybe the most disconnected because i was you know working with five operating presidents who all had their own vps of r d who worked for them who all worked for me and so there was a lot of people Sure. Management. And so I would, you know, I would take engineers to dinner and things like that just to hear from them about what's going on. You know, it's rewarding to train, coach, develop uh, people to go be successful. You know, an army of people can do a lot more than you can do by yourself. But I, but I will admit that now that I'm back running a company with just 30 people, it's nice that the lab is literally just outside my office and I can go in there and, and, and see what's going on. And, uh, you know, uh, we have put it down to people here who are you know, far smarter than I am, but it's nice. So I, I think neither is, is right or wrong. You can choose to spend your time where you want to. You have to balance it based on the demands of the job. But as I've said consistently, just stay tethered to the real work, because if you get that right, good things are going to happen. If you get that wrong, bad things are going to happen and you need to know what's going on. You're credited with a dozen or so patents. Um, is there one that you point to that you're typically most proud of? I think... Um, some of them are a family around the, the self-expanding stent, the smart stent that I mentioned. And I'm really proud of that one because we, you know, we were one of the first uh, groups, one of the first companies to put a, a nickel titanium self-expanding stent uh, cut out of a, a solid tube on the marketplace. You know, I, I remember once um, I was in Texas visiting a hospital and there was a, a physician there who was an interventional cardiologist who came up and said, I understand you were part of developing the smart stent. And I said, yes, he gave me a big hug. He said, you know, I was walking with a cane last year. I had uh, intermittent claudication, which means it's painful when you walk. And he said, you know, frankly, my marriage wasn't in a good place. I wasn't happy. I was in the hospital all the time. And I actually, even though I should, should have known about it, realized, hey, I can be a patient too. And he said, I, you know, I got one of your stents implanted. And he said, I'm actually jogging again. I have more energy than I've had in years. My personal life is going well. You know, I, I just want to thank you and all the other people for making that possible. And so, you know, the, the patents that, that supported that work remain, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of those. We won the, uh, the, the Johnson Medal for that work, which is the highest scientific award that J&J offers. And, 
you know, I, I surrounded myself with a lot of great people. That's one thing I've learned in my career. Put great people around you and uh, and you'll do well. And so, um, you know, I had a great team, but that those are, those, are, those are special ones. When you meet somebody like that who gives you a hug, how humbling is that experience for you? Oh, incredibly. I mean, it's, um, you know, just, just like I would stress the need to stay close to the work it, it's also important to stay close to those that benefit from the work. And, you know, we're in a HIPAA environment now. It's really difficult to get the kind of access to hospitals that I was I was talking about. Uh, we've been discussing in some of the building that's happening at, at UAB, the opportunity to have some visual feeds into some of the, the, the labs and, and conference centers so people can observe. It's just more difficult to, to physically go in than, than it used to be. But it, it's, a, I think to me, that's what really drives the passion, the ability to see a, a human need and understand that it's maybe going to be a long road, but you can actually impact that. And um, I haven't done a lot of work in, in pediatrics and, and not a lot of people focus on pediatrics, but in terms of having an impact, I've spent a lot of time in hospitals and when I've been around the pediatric ward and I see those those little people um, with sometimes the wrong, you know, kind of a blue hue on their face and tubes, uh, that tugs at me a little bit. So when you can do something, you know, to help them, to help an adult, either save a life or modify a life, you realize it, you know, it, it's worth the effort. And so I, I would encourage people also to understand, you know, there's, there's a continuum of care. There's a healthy person, onset of disease, diagnosis, treatment, recovery and then back to normal life. And you need to understand the whole continuum to understand why it's so important and figure out where you fit in and and really drive it. So um, that hug is an example of recognizing that, you know, we're here to help people. With your current lab, what kind of things, what kind of breakthroughs are you trying to work on to, to help with the biomedical industry? Uh, there's currently no product approved in the world for catheter-based delivery of a, of a prosthetic mitral valve, so TMVR. There are open surgery solutions, but um, as an alternative for people who are at a high risk for surgery, um, the idea is that you could actually go in with, with a catheter through the vascular system, go across the, the diseased mitral valve and place a new valve within, within that valve. Um, that's being done right now for aortic valve replacement, but not for mitral valve. And so we have some intellectual property here that the engineers came up with before I joined the company that does it in a really, really unique way. And so we've demonstrated that in some clinical studies already in Europe. You know, it's, it's really exciting for me. My, my niece has had mitral valve problems and she had an open heart repair, but I, I was interested in it from, from her situation in the beginning, and now I've learned obviously a, a lot more. And I'm just excited about the, the breakthroughs that we're gonna see in the next few years and having more options available for patients who have mitral regurgitation. And if you look at the heart, there are four valves. Uh, you've got tricuspid left to go and also pulmonary while there's some work going on in those. Um, it, it's not as advanced as where we are with aortic valve. And so people are living longer. Um, people are productive longer, they're gonna have great lives. And so keeping this, this big muscle in your chest uh, going and keeping the valves healthy is great. I've worked on keeping the vessels open, now we're working on keeping the valves functioning.
Do you think you'd be where you're at? Do you think you'd have the success that you have had had it not been for your time at UAB? Uh, no, I just, I think that my confidence uh, coming out of UAB, my sort of attitude about um, really understanding the early stage research work, development work required to get a product out was a gift from UAB. I, I just think my opportunity to see so much in, in the operating room, to, to have to do the work I did to do my own research and, and get down to the cellular level to analyze hearing, to actually have to go through and you know write a, a thesis and, and present that. I can't tell you the number of presentations I've given in my professional career. It's, uh, you know, countless. And, uh, you know, standing up in front of a group and being able to articulate information is important. We actually had to present at a uh, conference. That's one of Dr. Feldman's requirements, and we did that as well. So, you know, early days, but those were, those were building blocks. And so, you know, my ability, I can't tell you the number of you know, pathology reports I've had to look at, you know, in my career. And I, I understand the language because of the work that I did you know, at UAB and I can understand, you know, what it's like to do that preclinical research. And, uh, you know, some people come in at a high level, they never did the, the lower level stuff and they can still be successful. But, you know, if you want to be able to go in the lab and understand what's going on, if you want to be able to understand what's happening with patients, it's nice to get that good foundational education, which in the case of biomedical engineering at UAB was useful and uh, has continued to be useful. That's David Wilson. In 1994, David earned his master's degree from the School of Engineering and Biomedical Engineering. Just a few years ago, David helped establish the David Wilson Ken Solovey Endowed Scholarship in Biomedical Engineering. His passion for UAB gives him a great idea of what it means to be a blazer. Well, it's increasingly meaning a lot because I, you know, I've had an opportunity to be on the engineering uh, advisory uh, group there and to think uh, even beyond biomedical engineering about all of the engineering efforts that are happening across UAB. Um, I, I've been able to walk around ironically with another hard hat to look at the early stage construction that's happening on, on the improvements and, and additions to the, to the campus. And so I, I think, you know, as I said, I'm really proud of who UAB was in the early 90s when I was there, and I'll always be incredibly proud of uh, what was offered, my participation in it, those that I participated with, and the degree that I earned and walked out of there with. But I'm even maybe more excited about where they are now and where they're going into the future. You know, we've had an opportunity uh, with the advisory group to, to hear from some of the new professors who've come in, and they're amazing. They're doing amazing work around, you know, epilepsy and Parkinson's disease. And, you know, there's just there's just a, a really bright future. And I think the ability to bring in even more students who have passion for being a blazer and having better facilities uh, for them even than I had and more opportunities makes me as a guy who's not young, you know, as young as I was, plans to live for a long time, really confident that somebody's going to have that passion to develop those uh, ideas and to prototypes and devices to help physicians. And I hope I don't need any of them, but if I do, because of UAB, they're gonna be there. 
So um, I plan on being connected to UAB for a really long time, and I'll, I'll serve in any way that I can be helpful in. And uh, you know, just really proud of the school. I'd like to invite you to listen to previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. Check us out at alumni.uab.edu/greenandtold. Have a story to share or know someone we should reach out to? Email greenandtold.uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on social media. Search UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and until next time, Go Blazers!